Hey, kid, how did you get in here? Man, you got everybody on this thing. Yeah. I came in to dig the sounds and check out the local scene. Well, this is it. But we're not really open yet. You blow trumpet? Not really. It's my brother's axe. Your brother's axe? <laughs> he left it to me. He died. Where's the rest of it? In there, along with his recordings. Originals. Original what? Recordings, stuff that he played on, gigs. Yeah? I'd like to hear him sometime. How about now? I brought him with me all the way from Shy. You brought these all the way from Chicago? Along with his axe. My brother, Phil, he was always talking about the ocean and how he'd like to be able to see the ocean and play his trumpet at the same time. So I thought if I could go where I could see the ocean and play one of his recordings. We'll listen to him later. But right now, I got a lot of things to finish up before I open. Pathetic. The following film podcast frequently contains adult content, including foul language and descriptions of adult situations. Spoilers for the films discussed occur often. Listener discretion is advised. Now take it away, Dr. Rausch. <laughs> They must be destroyed on site. Episode 173. I'm your host, Lee. What are you riding on? An iron lung, Russell? And I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel. There ain't nothing worse than blowing your cool Harper. How you doing, sir? I'm I'm doing I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I uh, I'm hanging out in a jazz club next to a beach for some reason that is uh, staffed by a really creepy old man who uh, <laughs> served in the Olympics uh, 40 years ago. Uh, that's 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 where i am yeah, yeah it's really no one listening to this has seen this film so no. none of that makes any sense so it's fine you know but you'll be enlightened soon enough but uh, yeah, it's gonna it's yeah. gonna be good yeah uh we're gonna be talking about california dreaming from 1979 and this is a uh, jeff williams recommendation so uh thank you jeff yep and before we get into that uh, we can talk about what we watched in the last little while we both watched something You've watched it legally. I've watched it illegally. Uh, I don't know if I watched it legally. I mean, it played oh. at a theater, and I paid money for it, and you know, walked in and watched it. Is oh, that so legally? you're one of those you're you're one of those suckers who pays for media. Who pays for the for the full screen experience mm. of like seeing something, you know, from a filmmaker I adore. That's the you know. You sucker. Uh, but yeah, yeah uh, go ahead, Daniel. In in the in the former Alamo Draft House, which just makes me sad every time I go there, it was it was a really yeah. There used to be an Alamo Draft House in my town, and that it's now it's now an AMC, and it's 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 terrible now. Anyway, <laughs> uh, 
So yeah, we saw uh, What's Put Time in Hollywood, the new uh, Tarantino film, and uh, I think it's its worst film. <laughs> you know, really? Yeah, no, no, no really. Um, I let me put it this way: it's 2019, and Quentin Tarantino is Im- is incapable of making a non-entertaining film. You know, I think that making the film that he made in 2019 is a uh, deeply irresponsible and borderline awful uh in the sense of like kind of uh you know highlighting the experiences of uh white men in the late 70s or in the in the early 70s late 60s early 70s and uh you know sort of like it, it feels very reactionary and it feels very kind of like uh insulting to uh sort of the reality of um uh Sharon Tate's um real life experience and it feels yeah. very um Difficult in the sense that it like kind of fails to um, properly deal with the reality of the Manson family. You kind of end up uh, just looking at the film. You kind of end up kind of walking away with like, and then the hippies were the real problem. So what you needed were a couple of like old school guys that are going to come in and like take care of this problem. And I feel like I don't think Tarantino feels that way about it because from his other filmography, he's not. Like, that's not just the guy he is, but it also just feels really, really difficult for me. And while I was entertained during the film, I really like certain aspects of it. I love uh, kind of looking back at that era of film. I really, I mean, you know, you and I, we look at a lot of films from this era. Like, it's very much like I'm, I deeply appreciate this sort of like look back at cinema. I have real difficulties with the film. And I kind of, well, again, I think it's entertaining. I think it's worth seeing. It just struck me as like, yeah, this is not the right move for you at this point, you know, especially coming off of, um, Weinstein, you know, too. the Weinstein scandal and, you know, all that stuff. And I don't know, like it just it feels like a really bad move. And, and that's disappointing for me. I really thought, you know, Tarantino was going to do something really interesting with this. And it's not that it's, you know, it's it's a film maybe in five years stepped away from it. I'll feel better about the film as a film. But I really feel like he owed us more. And that's kind of where yeah. I went. Uh, so, first watch this. I only watched it once. Yeah, I, I saw it theatrically. I haven't rewatched it or anything. Yeah. I I might try to rewatch it before it leaves theaters. I think it is interesting enough to do that. Anyway, go please go ahead. I was definitely entertained by it. I thought the performances were great. I don't have a problem necessarily with him. And I mean, this is a bit of a spoiler, but retelling <laughs> history and changing it because he did it in the Glorious Bastards as well, right? Um, yeah, I mean, and kind of arguably he does it in Django Unchained as well. I mean, mm-hmm. he kind of on how you want to i mean these are these are false histories and you know ultimately i mean that's that's just kind of the thing he's doing it's also just kind of the question of how does he rewrite the history and that's kind of the problem that i have with it thinking about it uh with you uh just talking there about it i think see your point he he does focus too much in this movie and sort of being in love with like the old school hollywood tough guys and i think that was his focus and it maybe kind of blinded him to some of the deeper issues that he could have I mean he has a random stuntman like beat the shit out of Bruce Lee I mean I'm a I'm a huge defender of Tarantino look whether you like that about me or not that's something that I just am and I will defend him against most of the charges of racism you know in, in his films like I I think he it's it's not about like how you engage with the material it's what you do with it uh, the idea of having Brad Pitt beat the shit out of Bruce Lee uh, as a way of like establishing the bona fides of him as a badass, it strikes me as like a deeply, deeply uh, icky thing for him to do. Like, I get what it's doing in the film. It's also like, oh man, you're just leaning into like the absolute worst impulses on this. It just it feels really icky to me, you know. Mm. 
Although Bruce Lee's history is a little bit questionable as the legit tough guy, though. Well, sure, sure. I mean, but but it's not. I mean, again, if we're going to rewrite the history, there's no reason to be kind of beholden to to that as a you know you know. Well, like, uh, I mean, he's rewriting history in some aspects, but I think he's trying to be at the same time he's trying to be true to what Hollywood was in that sort of changing time. And he's trying to be like, sure. trying to make those characters kind of true to what they were. Like the guy who plays Steve McQueen. Yeah. That was fucking awesome. I love that. Like, oh, this yeah, yeah. That, right? I feel like we need to do a full review of this. Ultimately, mm-hmm. <laughs> like uh, we could do an hour on this for sure. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. Like even, even oh. with my sort of cursory uh, sort of yeah, yeah, watch yeah, of this. Yeah. Definitely. But uh, yeah, no, um, I, I agree I kind with of... you. The performances are really good. I mean, and again, it's it's really entertaining on the level that it is. Um, mm-hmm. My problems are so much more sort of like, why are you doing this now, and what 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 is this? You know, what do you what do you you know? It works as a film by itself. It fulfills the kind of Tarantino brand, but at the same time, I feel the same way about this that I feel about um, Sucker Punch, the Zack Snyder film. Whereas I. Oh, yeah. I will also kind of defend a lot of what Zack Snyder has done. And then he makes Sucker Punch, which basically leans into like the worst criticisms of Zack Snyder. I feel like what's put time in Hollywood just leans into the worst criticisms of Tarantino is that like he's appropriating Asian culture. He's not that fond of women. He's fetishizing women. He's, you know, kind of more interested in like kind of the tough white guys, et cetera, et cetera, which I think are both, you know, not necessarily true of Tarantino, but like things that are easily read into him by mm-hmm. good faith people who I just kind of disagree with. But I feel like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is is a film that like just it just gives ammunition to his worst critics, and I, I kind of would agree with a lot of those criticisms in the way they're used in this film. So you know, and, and that's really difficult for me. So. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's totally fair. Um, like, like I said, uh, when we sort of briefly discussed this offline, I need to see it a couple times to to yeah. like try to fully sort of engage. But I, I do think like you're striking on something. I'm gonna watch a few more times, and maybe sometime down the road we'll do it on this podcast. If you don't yeah, really yeah. do it with with somebody else, I, one of your I can. I mean, the thing with Tarantino is that I could. I could I could do any Tarantino film at any time. You could just yeah. drop me like you know. Yeah, you're... we could do we could do Pulp Fiction right now, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> we did Jackie Brown, and I did it blind drunk. I don't remember what I said on that podcast. I hope it was entertaining. You but... were pretty brilliant on it, so uh, yeah. Um, yeah, no. The thing with Tarantino is I'm so like invested in him as a, as an artist that like I expect more from him than this film delivered. You and you, I, you definitely it's... yeah you you care more to like. I want you to be good, Quentin. I want, I want you, you to be. be I want you to be the best filmmaker alive, and I actually believe he is among the you know half dozen greatest filmmakers alive, and yeah, I, I want disagree. him to to be that. Once upon a time in Hollywood is not that, you know, and, and it could uh, have been, and it could very well have been. Um, and I'm trying not to. I know we don't necessarily avoid spoilers, but I also kind of this is the place where we're going to talk about it in detail. Mm-hmm. And so uh, like, I would like to explore this in detail at some point, but you know, I would like to give people a little bit more chance to watch the film first, but yeah, no. Yeah. Go, That's go cool. see it. People go see it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And we'll talk about it sometime down the road. Yeah. In like five years, we'll, we'll come back to it. <laughs> That's what we typically do with the, these kind of films. Yeah. Cause we got to do all of uh, Quentin's other films before we get to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. 
I would actually do all of Quentin's films at some point. Like, if you want to do them, you know, like again, I could I could talk about all of them. It's not a it's not a problem for me. I've I've seen them all many many times. So you know, we could do a fucking Tarantino month. Like that's the best thing about him. Like saying I'm only going to do ten films. It's like you make it really easy for us to (laughs) do. I mean, it's also it's also worth noting. I mean, just just to just to be clear about this, I usually say Inglorious Bastards is my all time favorite film. Mm-hmm. You know, which I know is problematic for people, but it is that film means so much to me. And Glorious Bastards is actually, uh, and that and again, the 2009 version that is usually the film that I kind of go to is like, this is my all time favorite movie, not the best movie I've ever seen, but my favorite movie. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, so. you know, there, there's a difference between favorite and all time best. Like, you, you can recognize all time best and still go like favorite, like. For me, it's still sorcerer. That's my favorite. Sure, yeah. Movie of all time, you know? If if you if you were to, if if I'm gonna just gonna sit down and like uh, you know put in a movie, and uh, you know like I will totally sit and watch the first twenty minutes of Inglorious Bastards every day for the rest of my life, as far as that's concerned. Yeah. It's really great stuff. It yeah. really is. Yeah. Anyway, we should uh, move on. I think you know to, yeah. to comments. Do yeah, we, we have, have comments? A, we have a couple comments here. Are the YouTube so, comments? Is the question? We we have one YouTube comment, uh, but it's yeah. not terrible. So I mean, do so you want to hear that really one a YouTube comment if it's not terrible? I get it, maybe it's a YouTube comment by mistake or something. Okay, it's... well you know maybe they meant to put it somewhere else and then stuck it on YouTube. Like you yeah, know. so uh, when we so, did, yeah we'll the... take the good one first. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, so we when we did two of our blind dead films, we covered uh, the yep. Night of Seagulls and Ghost Galleon. Uh, someone called NS That's three is... and four, right? Three, three and four. The... Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, someone called NS said, good conversation, said, never mind a remake, here's a reboot. And he linked a trailer to something called Curse of the Blind Dead. I don't know if we mentioned it when we were talking about these films in the couple podcasts we did. Like, we did one of uh, Cinema PsyOps and uh, yeah, 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 and we yeah. did one on our own. Um, I looked at it. The Blind Dead, like, the Blind Dead kind of design looks kind of cool i don't know if it's cgi or practical but it looked all right not as good as the blind did from the original films i'd still say like i, I kind of like that sort of stiff just sort of skeletal i, I if, if we're gonna do it uh in 2019 if we're gonna do it modern day like i do feel like there's a embrace the mechanical embrace the animatronic basically you know well, like, well here's here's the thing the the trailer sets the story in a post-apocalyptic world where the blind did come back like it's it starts out with the the typical blinded story where the templars do some satanic shit and get burned alive for it and then it's oh and the apocalypse happens and now the blind dead are back and the remnants of humanity have to fight the blind dead which is... I'm I'm imagining I'm imagining like the beginning of Terminator 2 where the Terminator like comes and like stomps on the skull of like the <laughs> human being, but it's the blind dead. And I really just wish Stan Winston was still alive to make this happen. Yeah. Because I kind of feel like that would be the that would kind of be brilliant, and I would like to see it. But uh, you know, he's dead, and it's never going to happen. So yeah. uh, you know, I'm just going to depress the audience at this point. That's the. That's the <laughs> but yeah, no. Uh... It looks all right. I, I'll probably watch it at some point and report back about it. But yeah, okay. I I, I want better blind. Dead. We'll 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 add it to the to the endless list of films that we might cover <laughs> at some point. You know, we're gonna be ninety year old men doing like podcasts about like you know. You well, know, it's like, what the fuck else do I have to do? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's gonna uh, be fine. It's gonna be fine. And we have two comments from Jeff Williams here. Uh, first off, he uh, commented on our. Uh, episode on the first turn on and he said and actually also uh 
I follow him on Letterbox, and he gave the mm-hmm. first turn on like one star out of like four or five or whatever. He, not sure. a fan. Uh, oh, fair enough. Yeah, but he said honestly, it's kind I of a bad it. movie, but we but we liked it anyway. Yeah, uh, you know, I he think said, that comes across in the in the podcast. Like, oh no, this is yeah. terrible. It's great. You know, we 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 often champion terrible shit, but <laughs> sometimes. Uh, not thematically terrible shit, just terrible made shit. Jeff Williams says, honestly, I'd much rather listen to you guys talk about trauma films than actually watch a trauma film. <laughs> hey. You know, that's a, I take that as a deep compliment, honestly. Yeah, uh, yeah no. I mean, if we, if we make those films better for you, then that's kind of really? cool. So, yeah. Oh. And his other comment is his recommendation of the week. This is a movie from 2003 called Control. Spelled with a, with a K. K, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 This is an allegorical tale about a team of lovable loser ticket checkers working in a Budapest subway system must contend with combative passengers, an elite group of rival inspectors, and a serial killer, all while their underachieving leader falls for a feisty girl dressed as a bear. <laughs> I, f- I feel like in the post-capitalist economy where you and I don't have to work for a living anymore... Uh, we can do a parallel podcast, which is just Jeff Williams's uh, suggestions. You know, yeah, you just I physically mean, don't have the time to do them all. But uh, like, I listen to that and I'm like, I would like to see that a yeah. and b. I'm sure we could have a really fun conversation around it. And I feel really bad for Jeff Williams that we have not uh, done more of his suggestions. It's not out of a lack of desire to do it, and no. I think he understands that. I think it's more just like there. Millions of movies that we could possibly do, and uh, you know, we just hey, don't. You know, we've 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 already we've already set down stone. We're going to do a Jeff Williams month, so yeah, at the yeah. very least, we're going to touch on some of these. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, we have sprinkled Jeff Williams recommendations here and there. Throughout yeah, the yeah, no. So, so it's just everything sounds interesting, and we're like, no, no, we should do that. And then like, oh, let's just uh, let's do California Dreaming. Like, well, you know, that was you know. It, it goes back to a few episodes ago where you said, like, why isn't Jeff Williams doing his own fucking podcast? Like, he should. I would yeah. totally listen to that podcast, you know. You know, um, Jeff, if you're, uh, if you're feeling froggy, jump. Yeah, that's where we go. Throwing going. it out there. Throwing it out there, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we're going to take a quick break, play a little bit of music from this, some podcast promos, and we're going to come back and talk about California Dreaming. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Uh, necrophilia. Uh, uh, uh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, crude. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. Unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17 year olds should be watching this. 
just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept little history doll popping up at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at twelve years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How did you watch this shit at twelve? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. California Dreaming, directed by from nineteen seventy nine. From nineteen seventy nine, there are many California Dreamings and California Dreaming with the apostrophe. Yeah. So make sure if you're gonna Google this, it's California Dreaming with a G, nineteen seventy nine. That's the way to find it. Yeah. Yeah, because this is actually kind of an obscure film at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come for the sun, for the surf, for a way of life you've heard about but never believed was real. Come for a dream called California. California 
California Dreaming, a sensational new movie that's going to make you feel warm all over. Soon at a theater near you, rated R. I'm sure we'll get into that. Directed by John D. Hancock, which I thought was a fake name, but no, that's his real John Hancock. That's his real name. This should be a much more... <laughs> this should be a much more overtly thirteen-year-old um, boy movie to be directed by a guy named John Hancock. Yeah. <laughs> it's not actually it's Hancock, not Hancock, but really this should be you know th- this film is much more mature than to be directed by that guy. Anyway, uh, yeah, please. Uh, who is uh, also known for doing "Let's Scare Jessica to Death" and "Bang the Drum Slowly." Uh, yep. So he does like a real notable... director, like a real yeah, director. Oh, yeah. Real director is crazy. Written by Ned <laughs> not Wynn. some guy who learned how to point a camera in the right direction and <laughs> like get actors to like not have shit on their shoes. That's the uh, you yeah. know which <laughs> we typically get with these like sex comedies. With no disrespect, honestly, like directing is a hard job, but like this is somebody who's actually done like real movies, you know. Yeah, no, this isn't like you know. So so very often you see a guy like oh he did he did a bunch of music videos. Now we're gonna give him like a thirty billion dollar movie to direct or whatever. You know, it's like yeah. Whereas, you know, you look at sort of this stuff and you look at, like, the model of the Italian system where you had to work your way up to be actually become a director, much more sensible and much more practical. Well, like Robert Altman, who directed, like, 30 films before he directed MASH, you know, for mm-hmm. instance. Yeah, And, uh, yeah. you know, where you, you just kind of work as a, as a kind of a journeyman director, you know, kind of doing stuff. But also that's within the old studio system, which, uh, you which know... Is problematic in itself, yeah. It has its own issues because, like, ultimately it's a, a big boys club, but uh, anyway. Yeah, you know, if you were an auteur, you had to make money being an auteur. That's kind of the thing. <laughs> But, we're not actually avoiding talking about this film. It sounds like we are. It's really just like, you know, we're just rambling. It's fine. Yeah, no, uh, we, we've already done a podcast previous to this and drank a lot. So, uh, yeah. yeah. It, it, every, everything's fine. Everything's yeah. fine. This is written... I feel good. I feel good. <laughs> I do, too. This is written by Ned Wynn, who also is in this film as a character. He is known for being a bit player in films like Son of Flubber, Bikini Beach, Pajama Party, Beach Blanket Bingo... How to Stuff a Wild Bikini. Son of actor Keenan Wynn, actually. Noted character actor. You, you'll know him if you saw him. I don't know if you know his name necessarily, Daniel. but I uh, don't. Yeah, not off the top of my head. But but, but he was in a lot of great stuff. And uh, so this is like one of his, you know, I, I think this is either his first or one of his first sort of forays into writing. He did a little bit of screenwriting after his uh, acting career dried up. And, you know, he was in all the, uh, this is an AIP picture. And he was in all those sort of uh, beach party AIP films. Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like you know we always had we always make plans for more movies to cover. Yeah, we should do a uh, we should do some of those other films. Yeah, sure. I yeah. mean, we've already done the first one from yeah the breaking, beach party. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is starring Glennis O'Connor as Corky, Seymour Castle, the awesome Seymour Castle as Duke, Dennis Christopher as TT, who you would think it would be the top build person in this honestly but he's yeah not. he's 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 i mean not even arguably the lead he's definitely the lead yeah and yet, uh you know third build tells you something uh, yeah uh dorothy tristan is faye uh I'll have something to say about her tanya roberts uh in a very early role as stephanie john kelvin is rick todd sussman as jordy alice Platon is uh corny uh or corine actually uh ned win here he is as Earl Fescue. James Van Patten as Mike. Stacy Nelkin as Marsha. 
who actually shows up in um, Halloween Three uh, as oh. uh, yeah uh, as uh, one of the mains in that. Johnny Fane as Tenor, and Kristen Baker as Karen, and she just has a minor role in this, but I just wanted to pimp her out on the uh, cast list here because she's in Gas Pump Girls, which we uh, covered, and she was in Friday the 13th Part 2, which is one of her more iconic roles, although basically just for the wardrobe she wore in that film. <laughs> I have no memory of which person is of which role in, in this. Yeah. Um, so uh, we're going to do a lot of like, yeah, and then then there's the douchey guy who uh, kind of gets his arm broken. That's that's kind of that's kind of the that's kind of where my uh, conversation is going to go on this. That's you know, pretty much. Where I, I was really to. hoping there was a detailed uh, plot summary that would like uh, communicate all this to me, to where I didn't have to know it. And I didn't take notes on this, so uh, yeah. Basically, you as an audience are fucked if you yeah. Um, if you thought I was going to be a professional on this, I'm not. It's it's fine. You know? It's fine. We're, we're both kind of winging it here. Uh, yeah. So here's the uh, IMDb synopsis I pulled from this from someone called Matt282. A nerd from Chicago tries desperately to fit in with a California surfing crowd, blind to the fact that their lives are even more boring and empty than his. <laughs> Which is kind of true. Which is... Boring and empty. I don't think boring and empty is necessarily the. I mean, the movie kind of goes and you know, it's not that it's boring and empty. It's it. I mean, empty. Yeah. Uh, we'll 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 talk about it. I, I, yeah. I think I know what you're getting at. Yeah, um, it's not necessarily boring and empty. It's it's sort of like superficial and nonsense. Uh, you know. But, yeah. There, there, there's actually some deeper stuff in this film than. Yeah. Uh, there, there, than the, yeah. Yeah. But in summary. Uh, like the summary is fine, except for boring and empty. Just seems like, yeah, no. Like you've, I get what you're, I get what you're trying to say, but you're, you're, you're wrong. Random you, person on IMDb. Yeah. <laughs> Matt two eight two. You need Matt two eight two. You needed, you needed to be uh, more insightful for our enjoyment and for our edification. Exactly. You need, you need to care about these characters a little bit more. You fucking yeah. soulless bitch. Yeah, that's where, yeah. you know, we're insulting a random person I need to be. One day we're going to get an email from, like, some person <laughs> who, like, Matt282 is going to be like, I listened to your podcast, like, in 10 years. He's going to listen, and he's going to be, like, 60 years old and be like, you know, oh, you were losers making fun of me back in the day. You know? <laughs> yeah, well. This, uh, this is one we're millionaires based on the, uh, the, the extended Patreon donations we're going to get on, on this podcast once it mm-hmm. takes off, you know. Yeah, yeah, we've been doing this for like what, like five years at this point, you know, yeah. like uh, you know, uh... Matt two a two. We are immune from your criticism at this point. Yeah, so. yeah. no, Sorry. it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so I, I assume this is the first time we both watched this film. Uh, yeah, yeah. First time of... watch. First time watch. Yeah. I watched it this evening. Um, you know. So, what uh, are your uh, sort of general thoughts, Daniel? I like the film. I, I, mm-hmm. I like. I legitimately like the film. I would like to see it again at some point. Same. Um. I think it's a, it's a, you know, it's definitely, you know, we're kind of doing this as part of like a sex comedy series. It's really not that. It's really much more a uh, kind of romantic comedy, kind of a vignette film, kind of a, you know, it reminds me a lot of American Pie in in a way, the uh, the 1999 film in the sense of uh, it's got some funny bits, but it's kind of more about like sort of, uh, you know, finding uh, sort of sort of real characters within that that genre. It's kind of about just sort of interpersonal drama. Um, some of it works, some of it doesn't. Some of the actors are good. Some of the actors are 
not so good. Um, <laughs> some of them look a little bit like Matthew Modine, but like it, after he's gotten like that scarred face syndrome thing, uh, whatever that disease is, uh, you know. So, <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, it's got uh, it's got some some very pretty girls in it, but uh, not mm-hmm. a whole lot of nudity. It's got yeah. some. Um, God, like there's just there's a lot in the film. It's kind of hard to you know, kind of hard to kind of hard to summarize. Um, enjoyable, kind of difficult, could be better. Interesting. It's kind of kind of where I land on it. So my sort of general impression on this is it's very. So first off, I should just say like AIP picture. This Samuel Arkoff was producer or whatever, and he's he wanted a film that did something different than the usual just sort of titty sex comedy of the era. He wanted and, to, and, like, and to be clear, AIP like birthed this genre with yeah. like the party movies in the early sixties. Uh, we did the first of those. This is very much a uh, response to that in, in a way. Like it feels more like let's look at the reality behind that. And it's not even just a response to those. It, it feels like a response to Crown International Pictures stuff that was coming out in this era, too. Because it's a little bit like those films, but it's much more earnest in its sort of coming-of-age kind of story. You can like, see this as a, as a bit of a, uh, uh, a companion to Van Nuys Boulevard in a, in a way. you know. It is. It's kind of the aftermath. Like, it, like there's, there's, uh, You get hints of the van culture. Yeah, you know, a couple a of bit. Yeah, 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 and uh, like Seymour Castle's character is very much like you, you could see him as an aged like uh, Dugan kind of yeah, kind sure, of sure. thing, right? Oh, we'll get into that character, I think. I, yeah, I yeah, have thoughts, we will. You know? Yeah, but yeah, no, I I like this quite a bit. I I was I enjoyed it all the way through. It, it's it definitely surprised me because it does do several tonal shifts. At points, you think it's going to be a, a Crown International sort of sex comedy where it's just all titties and kind of big characters that uh, just, you know, all the problems between them are so superficial and they end up having sex in the end kind of thing. And it's like, no, it's not quite that. It actually gets deep into characters, every character in this film almost from the get-go. Very few of them are like real, you know, who actually know who they are. A lot of these people are people trying to be something they're not. They're, they're trying to live up to some sort of stereotypical expectation of what they're supposed to be. And that's where like right. a lot of the conflict comes in this film. Sure. Yeah. No, um, I agree with that. I, I feel like there's a, there's a sense of like, you know, there, there's a moment early in the film where uh, one of the pretty girls like kind of loses the volleyball yeah. and uh, lands uh, in front of uh, one of the big surfer dudes Rick and she's Rick, um, who's like the big kind of famous surfer guy, who's the giant asshole of the film ultimately. Yeah. Um, you know, who's the one guy where you're like, yeah, well, that guy should just die. It's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, she's like, yeah, throw the ball back, and he's like, uh, you know, he just kind of runs back, you know. And uh, he's the one who uh, I'm kind of like, you know, he kind of looks a little bit like Matthew Modine with like kind of mm-hmm. face scarring. You know, he's got that same kind of um, at first I thought it might have been Matthew Modine. And then I kind of did the math on the the year and I'm like, oh, no, Matthew Modine was like 11 years old or something when this was made. <laughs> um, but at the same time, like it feels very like kind of a Matthew Modine like now kind of rolled where he's kind of like that aging beach bomb type. And like and that's really interesting. One of the films that we did uh, kind of back in the day was Inherent Vice, which kind of has that, which was um, 
set in the late 60s and is a much more kind of interesting uh even though you didn't like it quite as much as as i did you know it, it has a there's a there's a much more of a you know kind of socio-political angle there's a lot more kind of going on than like this is just a beach picture uh but ultimately it's it's uh kind of filming the same world in a way this kind of southern california beach bum culture and uh here what we're seeing is something that's uh, made in 79 which is you know, we're seeing the kind of the dregs of the the thing from the late '60s, from the from this sort of uh, flower power kind of drug culture, the summer of love kind of stuff. You know, this is post Vietnam. 1979 is one of the low points of the sort of like U.S. economy of the the last 50 years. It's uh, you know we're in the middle of the gas crisis, we're in the middle of the Carter administration. Um, this is the the moment at which you know sort of sort of a uh, Ronald Reagan becomes the uh, uh, the morning in America. I'm gonna bring new things here, and we're gonna yeah. like um, just crush all the poor people and put all the black people in prison because like that's the thing we're gonna do. Oh, uh, and by the way, we're gonna let all the mentally ill people out in the streets with the proper care. Right, right. Because like uh, you know, th- this is this is a really key moment in American history, and the idea of kind of like th- the filmmakers had no like idea of this, but ultimately they are. Um, looking at this and there is a sort of realism to the idea that like yeah there are these guys who have just kind of been hanging out on this beach for 10 years who are kind of king of the beach because this is their world but also they're kind of shitty people and they're kind of you know like the dregs of society at this point and uh this whole fantasy about like kind of what the california dream is about what like going off and becoming a surfer uh from the late 60s and from these surf pictures like uh, it doesn't really exist anymore and in fact at, at a certain point you actually see like our our lead kind of sitting in a movie theater watching surf pictures which are apparently taken down the road from him you know that fantasy doesn't match reality you know even in the surfing footage which is great footage i mean looking at like i mean you know like i can't surf i never lived on an ocean but but you know like it's great footage but it seems kind of gray and kind of nasty and kind of low res and it, it seems like kind of a little bit like uh you know worn out and i think there's something really interesting just kind of visually and thematically going on in the film it really it really does comment on like, like none of these people have jobs <laughs> oh yeah it's <laughs> for, for except for uh seymour castle you know who seymour who... castle and his ex-wife they have jobs yeah. nobody else in this film has any fucking jobs he, like, he owns a bar so like even then he's like petite bourgeoisie you know it's not like a you know a real like working class kind of thing you know like yeah you know, he's just sort of coasting, and the rest of these... It reminds me, it reminds me, I was thinking, just to throw it in, it reminds me a little bit of, like, uh, Hawaii. Like, we have this uh, fantasy of Hawaii, like, you kind of go off, and you and it's like a vacation destination. But if you go to public beaches in Hawaii, so the thing is, like, Hawaii never gets colder than about 65 degrees Fahrenheit. Like, oh, yeah at night in the middle of winter like that's and so like there's this massive population of people who just can't afford to live in hawaii who can't afford anything and they just live in a tent on the beach because the public beaches are just public beaches and you can't like legally the cops can't kick you off and so literally if you go to the public beaches you're literally like you're just surrounded by homeless people who to live in a tent in hawaii because that's the thing you can do so if you travel to Hawaii and you have the fantasy of like, oh, I'm going to live in Hawaii, and then like the economy kicks you out, 
um, but you have uh, you know 100 bucks for a tent, you just end up buying a tent and then you just like kind of like slowly starve to death uh, living in a tent in Hawaii. And so this like kind of uh, paradox of like I live in paradise, but I also uh, you know <laughs> well, yeah that, that's that's totally the, this... the society like that's that's kind of what this movie is about. That, yeah. that is that's totally this culture here. Like they just the, the other foot hasn't come down. That's the thing. Like it's about to. But it quite hasn't yet. Yeah. So Sorry, I, I, I went deep on this. I apologize. <laughs> no, that's good. So, yeah, I, I like the characters in this. I think Dennis Christopher's TT is... I think he's portrayed... He's pitched just a little bit on the annoying scale. Like, that's the thing. Like, he's not really quite the leading man. He's not quite charismatic enough. Like, it works in character, but he's not... Qu- like, if he's going to carry the movie, he's a little bit generic. I kept forgetting which one he was. He's no. too much of a dork. Like, he makes Eric Foreman from the 70s show look like an alpha male. Like, he's that dorky. Like he. I mean, I do reject that sort of thing, but I kind of get what you're going for. Yeah, so no, I'm, I mean, I... I don't I don't accept the alpha male thing either, but I mean, you know, in in the in the context of alpha male, he, he makes Eric Foreman look like a Yeah, no, no, yeah. But and I I come around to him later on in the film, but early on he's just kind of grating on the nerves, like he's that bad. Mm-hmm. And and there's some awkward scenes with Which him. Which was just kind of intentional with him in that like particularly in that opening scene where he like kind of goes into the jazz club and he's kind of meant to be that slightly annoying uh, kind of oddball yeah. character, you know, who's like really into jazz. Like it is weird. Like he shows up and he's like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm, I can't, I'm, I'm like super interested in jazz, like high end jazz." And I came to Southern California, came to California from Chicago, for the major jazz scene in California. Which you, you've, you've yeah. actually, you've actually gone the wrong direction. Like Chicago was where you needed to be. And I see seventy nine if you're into jazz, like I mean, or that, at that least is... New York, like go to New York, but certainly not Southern California, you know. In a lesser movie, it would kind of become like, uh, you know, oh well, jazz is lame, and you need to be into like Beach Boys music or whatever, yeah. like you know, surf rock. And he like, discovers surf rock is like this is way better. My dead brother should have been into surf rock, and then <laughs> um, he gets the he gets the big titted girl at the end, but uh, that's not where the film goes. It just kind of. Like it uses, I don't know. It feels weird that he's into super, like he's super into jazz. Like you know, it's 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 a guess, kind of bizarre moment. I guess, yeah, I guess that what that's what makes you a nerd in nineteen seventy nine. You're really into jazz, and you wear yeah. a button up shirt or whatever. But uh, also, this notion of like you just show up in California, and things are gonna be all right. You'll you'll instantly find someone who'll take you in, and well, you <laughs> like, know, it's California in the seventies, right? You know, I guess. Uh, what's but, funny is there's no weed in this movie. There really should be like weed. well, there's a little bit. There should be like marijuana stank should just pervade this film. It like, should, yeah. That's that's a difference from the Crown International stuff. Like you know, there's pot smoking and shit in all those films. There's yeah. a little bit in this, there, and it really only just leads to one scene where he he smokes a joint and he shows up in the movie theater and he's fucking high and then all of a sudden all these titties are banging into him. <laughs> which is uh, a great scene ultimately it's a fucking amazing scene he gets stoned and all of a sudden there's these like titties squishing into his arm and and then at one point some titties threaten to dunk into his coke that he's got <laughs> and then he like lifts the coke and you know like the titty kind of goes into the the little paper cup and yeah. like it's a it's a very like overt like uh you know 
the director the director really knows how to shoot those like late seventies uh, pre plastic oh. surgery tits it's a it's a yeah. thing yeah and then the then there's that shot of the of the girl downing that hot dog and mm. he's staring at her and then she's looking back at him like at first she's like you creep and then she's like oh i know what you're i know what you're doing i know what you're doing but i also i also remember being in like uh, you know i'm in my late 30s you know i'm mm-hmm. i'm a middle asian man i've touched titty a time or two like it's yeah. a, it's a thing you know like you know i'm not trying to brag or anything did but you do I, it in the like the Helsinki Olympics? Is that when you did it? Uh, yeah, I don't. You know, I wouldn't like to. I, I wouldn't like to make people jealous. Ultimately, you know. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. You know, I have, I have touched a titty a time or two. It's, it's a thing, you know. Yeah. Um, but I remember being a young man of you know sixteen or so, and I remember like the. The, the moment when like the titty brushes your arm as mm-hmm. it kind of happens in the film and just like kind of having, especially when it's like the, like, Oh, that's the hot girl that I'm kind of into. And she brushed up against me in that way. And I, I remember that feeling and I, yeah. it, the film accurately represents it like, really does. that yeah. feeling, you know, and yeah, you know, which is slightly uncomfortable for me uh, to think about 16 year old girls rubbing their tits on my arm. <laughs> uh, but, uh, uh, that's also part of the process of watching the film, maybe. So, you know, we'll just leave that there. Yeah. But yeah, uh, so like like I said, all the characters, for the most part, are just trying to live up to an expectation that they can't really live up to. I mean, with T.T., that's with, that's with his, uh, oh, I want to play, uh, I want to play my dead brother's jazz music on the oceans, or whatever. That's, a, which is itself like a weird, like, little premise of, yeah, my brother is dead. He has these recordings. I need to play them by the ocean because it's something that he wanted. Yeah. So, like, literally, we're going to watch a beach summer fun movie uh, premised on dead brother. Like That's, <laughs> that's the thing. Like, this this movie has so many tonal shifts. And honestly, that would probably be my major criticism of this film is that... Yep. It doesn't quite know what it's supposed to be. Although I think at the same time, still both parts work really well. If you go into this for like the Crown International titty shit, mm-hmm. there's there's still enough of that in here that's really good. Like there, yeah. there's there's a there's a. I mean, there's not a ton of it, you know, based no. on what we've seen in like hard bodies or you know someone's. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's whatever you know, but it's it's not hard bodies. But I mean, if you look at the Crown International stuff that we watched, yeah, it's it's pretty comparable. It's pretty yeah, much it's it's it's, a, it's, a, it's like kind of a titty beach movie. Like there's some good stuff. Um, uh, it tries to explore kind of like there there's you know a guy losing his virginity like our our, our lead loses his virginity uh, towards the end and there's well, they're, a kind of, uh, they're both losing their virginity at the same time is she is that is that kind of where yeah. she's too okay yeah so yeah which which kind of becomes this uh weird like you know again i don't like to brag I lost my virginity once um you know <laughs> not more than once i only lost it once but yeah. uh, you know <laughs> There is a, there is a bit of kind of the like you know you kind of want to be that guy in that moment and then you like you realize like yeah I'm I'm not this isn't coming across in the right way and like kind of having that like moment of communication um, ultimately it kind of like it's difficult because like doing it for real would like kind of turn this into like more of an overtly pornographic film yeah. you know. And I think, like, the motivation of her, like, actually wanting to sleep with him just doesn't make sense doesn't, at all. Doesn't really, no, it um, doesn't. 
but but, uh, but which is kind of one of the big kind of issues where you kind of run into the the third act and it's like yeah none of this makes any sense but it's entertaining nonetheless mm-hmm. but it's a nice little scene of like you know losing your virginity and just kind of the awkwardness that comes uh, that comes with that and it's it's uh, probably the best acting that dude has in the film <laughs> so, yeah know. no like basically all all it shows us is a little bit of foreplay a little bit of nudity I, I kind of love that, like, he's so inexperienced that at first he's, like, licking her face. He's licking her eyes. <laughs> I, I watched it, I watched this with my wife, and she was not kind of watching the film. And I was little, I started kind of doing the, like, I was just, like, covering my face and looking through my fingers because it was really <laughs> awkward. And she turned over, and she was like, is, is he licking her eyes? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. He and drools on her, and she wipes yeah. it off her face. That is that is not the only fluid she got in her face in this moment, uh, in, in this in this uh, incident. I, I can imagine, you know. Probably and, not. and ironically, less awkward than what happens the next morning, where her dad walks in and is like, "Hey, nicely done," you know. Which yeah, uh, no. Let's yeah, talk about so much Castle for a minute. Bullshit in this. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Let's, let's, okay, so I first off, I think the performance is great. Uh, yeah, 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 no. the performance yeah. is great. The film. The film doesn't quite frame it in quite the right way. Like he's he's on point. The film knows he's creepy, but doesn't quite know how creepy he is. Uh, but <laughs> so Seymour uh, Castle's character is Duke. He's this guy who's he owns uh, that jazz club. You know, which he owns the jazz looks club. like a really fun little. Uh, yeah. It's like a bar, kind of a cute little dive bar on the beach where he plays a bunch of jazz records. And ultimately, like, I'd go drink at that bar. Yeah, yeah, I would. Yeah. But Duke himself, he's he's creepy, but he's he's generally a nice guy ish. But at the same time, he's this guy who just can't let go of the past. And he's very, very insecure about how old he is. He's a guy who constantly lies about his own exploits. Yeah. he has really weird advice for TT. Uh, he tries to be a mentor. You got to go, this is the A. This is the greatest volleyball court in the world. Mm-hmm. This is you're, you're privileged to be here. And it's shot in a way, like, you can see just how, like, stupid and lame this whole, like, it's thing so is. You know? yeah. It's such, like, this nonsense, like, we're just on a beach with, like, a volleyball net. And, you know, like, this is nothing. And then it's like, you know, this is all about you gotta get some ass. You gotta get some ass, man. Oh, I mean and then like you gotta you gotta like touch the ball the way you like touch the titties, man. You gotta like really get that like finger action in. And then our and then our lead there has to like uh practice throwing the ball many, many times in order to get like that that proper thing. And then he doesn't even like actually use that technique when he touches the girl's tits at the end. So mm-hmm. like no, he's which like is actually kind of realistic for um, you know, dudes who like get a little bit too excited yeah i mean man you should have had a premature ejaculation moment that should have been like a moment (laughs) the film you know i've i mean if i was his age and i was with that girl that probably would have happened um but i mean god damn if if i I was was, if i was with that girl now you know like you know like uh, maybe even yeah she could well i wouldn't like to say premature ejaculation and you know i mean She's supposed to be like seventeen, so like clearly that's not something that uh, you know. Uh, yeah, I don't know how old she's supposed to be. They don't really define anybody's ages here, which is probably a good thing. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to see more castle it up here or anything like that. You know. Yeah, no. uh, 
but uh, again, like watching like teenage girls like in in bikinis and uh, and ultimately, uh, it, it's kind of uncomfortable. Uh, uh, you know, just yeah. just how much like uh, you know, uh, you feel kind of like uh, yeah, a creepy guy, unless you're uh, actively not trying to be that. That's that's kind of the goal is to not be Seymour Castle. God, are I... we doing this film as a as a as a uh, a criticism of ourselves? I, uh, maybe... you know, I didn't quite process that. Maybe this is like a meta commentary on this whole podcast. Like, yeah, <laughs> ultimately we are that creepy guy. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to lie about my exploits in the Olympics, though. Like, that's let's, let's, yeah, let's sure, sure, yeah. But uh, I mean, I, I was in the Olympics. Sure, I mean, clearly, mm, I, I did gymnastics yeah. in the in the 2002 games. It's fine. Right. They didn't uh, do gymnastics in the 2002. That was the Winter Games. That's the joke I was trying to make. You know. So. All right. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure just, there's like one person listening who thought that was really funny, but you know. You assumed that me as a Canadian knew what the Winter Games were, right? You racist. That's the thing. I am a deeply, deeply racist person. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I yeah. wish, I wish I knew back in the day that kissing volleyballs would get me laid because Jesus, I would have joined the fucking volleyball. I love the way that sequence is shot and like all the sequences of him like throwing the ball because they just sort of like frame the camera slightly above where his hands are. So basically he's just like moving his hands out of frame and then they like layer in like the audio of the ball, but you don't (laughs) actually see him like throwing the ball and it's very clearly, uh, yeah. Um, he, he didn't actually know how to, had a had a deal with the uh, a volleyball and they just like shot it in a way that he didn't have to, um, which yeah. is fine. I mean, but, no criticisms really. It's yeah. actually pretty well done unless you like notice it at all and then it's like oh yeah this is really creepy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Seymour Castle his character is probably the most fully realized one in the in the story. I think yeah. like best actor in the story for, by far. Like he, oh, he yeah, just, yeah, yeah. does a great job. Creepy as fuck talking to his daughter, though. Like, a little too hippie-ish liberal, but it's like, hey, you got great tits, you should go out and get laid. Like, at one point, he basically says that to her, like, early on I in mean, the being film. a sex positive is, is one thing, and, uh, you know, like, actively encouraging her to... Like, there, there's a sense of which he's actually kind of lusting after his own daughter, which is, which is, uh, which which, is definitely not... Yeah. Not, you know, but also like in character, like if we're supposed to kind of treat him as he's kind of, in a way, he's kind of the villain of the piece. You know, um, you know. Well, yeah, he he puts I mean, T.T. on the wrong path. He's he's little... the Donald Trump of this film, ultimately, lusting after his own daughter. Well, he's. I can imagine. I can imagine him saying at that volleyball court, "This is the A court." Yeah. This is the this, A. This, this is the A court. It's the, the best court. court. This is the best court. You know, and uh, you know. Good people. If you show up, if you show up, if you show up here, you know, um, they let you do it. It's fine. Yeah. You know, uh, good good people play at this volleyball court. If if you know the the, the women, the women that show up at the A court, they'll let you do anything. They'll, they'll let you touch it. Like you can grab them right by the pussy. You can grab them right by the pussy. Yeah. No, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, yeah. this guy's Donald Trump. We've just. <laughs> nah, I I don't buy that. Seymour Castle's character here is that sinister. Like no, he's, no, he's, he's not that he's, sinister. He's just a sad, clueless guy who's really self-conscious about his age, and and he's 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 kind of a lame wad. But generally, he's not a malicious dude. But the yeah. movie does the movie doesn't do him any favors. Let's put it that way. 
Well, the movie does the actor a lot of favors in terms of like kind of giving him the ability to kind of go as creepy as he needs to be. Um, so the actor, you know, like Samuel Castle is able to like kind of portray this really interesting character. The problem is that like the character he's asked to portray is really creepy, and so you know, and there's uh, the film so... doesn't quite like the film knows he's creepy, but doesn't quite get how creepy he is it's kind of you yeah, know yeah i mean he's he... still supposed to be kind of a guy that we're supposed to like kind of feel for yeah we're supposed to uh, feel yeah. sorry when he takes the fucking widow maker at the volleyball game at the end <laughs> where he just he just drops dead <laughs> yeah so god there's so much in this film we're not definitely not going to get to it but like so he gets back with his ex-wife he, he Faye, gets... i love Faye. by the way she's my Faye favorite is... Well, Faye is she's, great. Faye is she's great. My th- I would. We'll, God we'll get damn, her, I would. We'll, we'll get to her in a second. Okay. I just want to. So he gets back with his ex-wife, and he gets laid, and then he walks into his daughter's bedroom where she's now mm. slept with the kind of sort of adopted son, who, yeah. you know, is just kind of the, the jazz guy, and they fucked, and then his ex-wife is kind of like, leave them alone. It's fine. Mm. We, we let's just. We'll go make breakfast. Everything, you know. No, I gotta go. Like you know, tell my daughter that I know that she just had sex and I'm proud <laughs> or something. Like you know, and uh, which there's a time and a place, you fucking asshole. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is like this is like something like Kevin Smith would say the butt fucking Brady Bunch or something. Like yeah, that. like he just kind of walks in and he like touches his his daughter. And like, oh, good job, girl. You just had sex for the first time. I, you know, and not even in a like, just, just like in a super creepy dude way. Like, yeah. And then um, they go to volleyball and he dies. So, like, his wife and our lead get, or pardon me, his daughter and our lead get laid and he gets back with his wife and then the next day he dies. Yeah. So, you know. This this is it's kind of a serial killer movie. Sex equals death. <laughs> but oh man, I love Faye. I love her so much. Yeah. Like it predates, if, it predates Porky's a bit because you get the scene like through the the peephole of mm-hmm. her like changing clothes. She's got to be like I mean she she's definitely in that kind of milk she territory. Was like thirty seven at that point, I yeah. think. And she looks great. And there's a scene like right at the beginning where she's kind of like hanging out with, I guess technically not her daughter, but there's sort of a mother daughter relationship kind of going on between them. And she's like, I I shouldn't want to have to run. I don't want to keep. I because I, I totally agree with her. Running is bullshit. <laughs> running is bullshit. And then like a bunch of like dude bro surfers walk by. And it's like, what, are we trying to be fit for those guys? And the daughter is kind of like, yeah, they're fine. Like, you know, give them something yeah. to look at. Like, come on, keep yourself fit. And it's kind of like a, a goofy, fun moment, like, of, mm-hmm. of, like, two women just sort of, like, acknowledge. Like, there's a kind of a deeply feminist reading of, 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 of that, you know, where, you know, she's, like, saying, like, yeah, this is problematic and awful, but also like, eh, you know, like it's fun nice at the same to, time. Yeah, it's nice to be fun and to kind of have that moment. And ultimately, we live on the beach, and this is just kind of the reality of our world. And oh, uh, you know, uh, all the major female characters in this film actually sort of come to the realization that yeah, most of these dudes are crap. Like, yeah, they, they really do. Dudes, there, there is no good man in this film. Like, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, well, no, no, there's one. There's well, one. The, there's one the, good the, man in this film. 
The guy who lives in the car? The guy who lives in the car. Yeah. <laughs> he realizes that like he's uh he's after the one really terrible woman and mm-hmm. uh you know deals with that in the way he does. Yeah, which Pilot, is great. Like, which is great. It was it was a great moment, you know. Imagine living in a car for 6 weeks and then being like, you know, fuck that shit. Yeah. <laughs> like he, I don't know. he does Are we going to get into this uh, into the subplot? Should we describe the subplot? Okay, so d- just briefly. So there's this mechanic character who's you know the sort of everyman guy. He, he's infatuated a little bit with the uh, the waitress at the local diner, who is you know she's a gold digger. She's she's looking for the man who will give her the most income, you know, the most status, right. most income. Yep. There's uh, the character played by the writer of the film who comes in. He's the he's the rich guy. He's got the fancy car. He makes a bet with the mechanic. Hey, if if you can live in your uh, shitty car. Or a month and a half, or whatever, then I'll give you twenty five thousand dollars in my car, or whatever, and right. uh, and you can do whatever you want with it. So initially, he's like, okay, if I do this, I'll win the affections of the waitress because she's sort of bouncing between the two guys. And then as he's basically just sitting in this car, he's for a month literally and a half. tortured by sitting in that car for which is literally there's a Twilight episode, a Twilight Zone episode that does this exact thing, although uh-huh. it's not in a car, it's in a there's a guy who's a uh, like rich asshole who says to another rich asshole, You talk too fucking much. Uh <laughs> where can you uh live in my basement in a uh, soundproof thing that's going to like detect your uh your slightest uh sound that you make and uh you know for a year i think it's what it is and uh, oh. it's revealed at the end like he cut his vocal cords and oh. then he doesn't get the money because the guy like goes broke uh oh, while he's you know so yeah it's it's a twilight zone episode it's brilliant i just ruined the ending of a thing that's 50 years old but like fuck you if you, you haven't seen you it bastard yeah. you, yeah, you yeah. monster man yeah yeah. But yeah, no, th- this is great. Like, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, I mean, it, it actually compares like sort of favorably to that in a way because, <laughs> like, while it's not as dark as that, like, ultimately, it's really kind of about this guy kind of realizing during this ordeal that, uh, you know, yeah, this woman isn't worth all of this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to get the money. And then <laughs> he wins the car. And like the moment he wins the car, he covers it in cement. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with his Mexican sidekick. Oh God! Let, let, let's talk about him for a sec, just because. Yeah. So the one for... guy who actually works for a living because he knows how to work an arc welder. Yeah. But also the most racist caricature that I've seen in a <laughs> film in a while. Such a fucking stereotype. Yeah. The guy who is scared about what's in things. So f- the first thing he's handed is a bag that's. The mechanic's lunch. Oh, and he's, he's handed him. the no. That's one of my favorite little moments of the film because he's handed a bag yeah. and like it's like no, this is fucking heroin. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not doing yeah. this. Uh, like, no, you guys are all white. I'm not. <laughs> They're totally gonna come after me for this. Like I get it. Although they just tell him no, it's a cheeseburger and fries and a malt, and he's like, oh, well, that's fine then. Like it, you know, but it, like, it is a theme with him where he doubts anything that's like thrown at him. So it's yeah. like, okay, lunch bag could be anything in here, heroin, whatever. I'm not opening. It. Fuck you. The ocean. He he tells our hero, it's best you stay out of the ocean. There could be anything in the ocean. Like it could yeah. kill you. Women are trouble. Virgins are trouble. And then he proceeds well, to, to be give fair. Us... To be fair. To be fair. Uh, 
versions are trouble for anyone uh, well, above like twenty. Yeah, but then yeah. he yeah. he has he has the mistake of adding on to that, where he gives us his charming little rape story. Oh where, God, where I was to... literally, I was literally on the like, oh, there's no rape in this movie. I'm really happy about this. Like, uh, 45 <laughs> minutes in, and then like three minutes later, it's like, you know, oh, the one brown character is like, you know what I like to do? I like to jump on her. Like, <laughs> I I wrestled I got... in the backseat of a car for three hours. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You wrestled in the backseat of a car for three hours, like. Jesus fucking Christ, man! And it's not even, like, and then I get to feel her tits twice. Like, oh my god! Like that is, yeah, that is deeply, deeply awful. That is, um, that's nineteen nineteen seventy nine. Everybody, that's like, that's that's like you know that's that's a <laughs> that's Lars von Trier territory as far as right. I'm concerned. You know, <laughs> like you know. <laughs> I was like, I just, I just imagine like, you know, th- there is within that sort of art cinema, like let's make things really deeply uncomfortable. Like, imagine like a 10 minute version of that scene. There's this man who like is trying to, you know, like feel up this girl 40 and she's like 19 and he's just sort of like kind of doing the like, yeah, he puts his arm around her and he's kind of doing the thing and putting his arm and his on her leg and reaching up and she's kind of continually pushing him down. Imagine watching that for like 10 minutes, Ugh. not three hours. No, you know? Yeah. You know? yeah, no. And, uh, but but this is this is kind of what this culture was encouraging in 1979. You know, nobody understood what uh, female consent was in 1979. So ultimately, it's you know it's kind of okay. It's just you know there well, was no concept of like women wanted sex except like that's complete bullshit because there absolutely was. But uh, well, you know, I mean, but the film treats him as a piece of yeah. shit. Like yeah, you yeah. know, but the fact that he's like the one brown character we see is. Kind of like it's, ultimately that's the, ultimate, the terrible kind of, thing. And yeah, that's the terrible thing. Like I was just gonna say, like first time I wa- watching this, and the first time he shows up, I was like, okay, he's a stereotype. Nineteen seventy nine. I can deal with that somewhat. Please don't make him a rapist. That was actually yeah, one of my legit he's the thoughts. One, he's the one rapist in the like. <laughs> oh no, you made him a rapist. At least we don't see it. You know. You don't I mean, see then, it. And then and then what happens? And then what happens? Interestingly enough. You know, our uh, jazz freak uh, kind of guy, he decides to, uh, you know, engage in a little bit of, uh, you know, take the advice of our uh, uh, Hispanic character. And uh, he gets his ass handed to him. You know, he's, uh, you know, she almost breaks his arm, which is great. Um, yeah. yeah no, with you. He's all he's all drunked up and then he get he gets pinned on the on the beach by her and he's like best two out of three maybe and she's like fuck you and walks away <laughs> this this is a sex comedy that understands that rape is bad which yes. uh, well above other uh ones in this category unfortunately it delivers that message a it has to feel the need to deliver that message which tells you what you through a hispanic character yes and then it's it like... tells it through uh a guy with a little bit of melanin in the skin the only person with melanin in the skin who speaks in the uh like really overtly um oh it's uh, kind of mexican pigeon sort of like it's you know. it's fucking cheech marin parody Right, like right, yeah. it's it's that bad, but yeah, okay. So, really bad spot in this movie, but for the most part, this movie kind of treats women pretty fairly. 
Yeah, no, no, I, I, I would, I would agree. You know, like, like the the women in this film are treated as characters, and he, and even in that, it was the seventies. This is House on Haunted Hill like era. Mm-hmm. You know, like rape is the thing that happens in like every movie with a titty in it ever and like particularly in this genre as much as like in 2019 we, we can criticize it and i think rightfully so mm-hmm. uh, it does the thing that it does it it is critical of that and it actually does not contain a a full rape scene it just kind of contains a a conversation of a dude bragging about he raped someone uh, not in yeah. those words, and that it uh, contains a sequence of a uh, boy who takes that advice and is um, put in his place for it, and mm-hmm. ultimately and, and, and learns to be a better person. How about that? By the standards of the, of this kind of thing, like uh, you know, pretty I'm gonna, progressive. It's going to kind of allow it. Like it's it's, it's and not how about okay, but it's okay. And how about Tanya Roberts' character Stephanie, who is the girlfriend of Rick, the big dick in this film? Yeah, uh, she. She oh tries God! Her, she tries her best to be. Airport? She tries best airport. to be. Yeah, she right. she tries the best to be understanding with him, but at, at the end she's like, "Fuck this guy," and she takes she, away his ticket and leaves well, him. Well, and him. she wants originally she wants him to meet her dad, so that her oh, dad. Oh oh for... her 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 fucking dad, her dad only fucking wanted dad. to see this to see this guy. And it was like. Oh, I don't care if he's a drunken lout as long as he's an Aryan Superman. I'm all right with it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, a... ultimately, the dad is kind of like, oh, I like this guy because he's an asshole. Like, and yeah. There's that sort of sense of, like, yeah, it is. I mean, the film is criticizing the patriarchy. It's criticizing the patterns by which this kind of behavior is reproduced yes. across generations. And, like, the fact that the dad really likes the loudish like shithead and in another world where she was not as you know aware of the systematic problems and was not kind of able to say no she would have married this guy and ended up with uh you know like putting a cold cut on her eye every couple of weeks because he gave her a black eye you know you know this dude flat up fucking has sex with her 15 year old cousin or whatever the fuck oh god it's so creepy It's... it's so bad it's so bad. And she does the right thing. She's like, I'm leaving your fucking ass. And I'm going to Hawaii. Fuck you. Yep. 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 No. Good stuff. I'm going to go find a homeless guy on the uh, on the, on the the beach in Hawaii and fuck him instead. You know? Hell yes. Hell she yes. becomes a bohemian, I think. That's that's my like uh, that's my fan fiction for her. I mean, Ten, Tanya Roberts. Tanya Roberts, one of the most beautiful women ever to show up in cinema. Her options are limitless, <laughs> like yeah. character-wise. Even she's great. Options. She's the she's the one non-blonde in this film. Like this yeah. film is very much filled with like Aryan Superman. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, like... yeah. Uh, she's my second favorite. Uh, Faye is my favorite, though. Like, yeah. like honestly, and maybe that's just speaking to my age at this point. But it's like shows like she's thirty-seven at this point uh, as an actress right. in the movie. I'd be going after Faye hardcore, like just yeah, like no, I get that, I get that, amazing. I get that. But I, I was pleasantly surprised, like with how good this film was on sex. Like it was actually yeah, very. No, it does, it does the thing well. Yeah, oh, I'm with you. Yeah. So, uh, anything else we need to say about it? Or uh... I feel, I feel that we could go on forever, but ultimately, like I, I think the listeners kind of know where we are on it, and I think we've kind of yeah. covered the, the high points. I really like the film. I would recommend it. It is on uh, Amazon Prime. If you're an Amazon Prime member, you can watch it uh, for free. So yeah. do the thing. 
And it's also, there's a couple versions on YouTube. Look for the one that's like basically an hour 30. That's the one you want to take. A couple of them are 240p. The one I watched is like 340 or 360 or whatever the fuck. DVD info for this. There's no DVD release of this that's in earnest. You can get some burn on demand yeah, stuff. Yeah, even even the version on um, Amazon, uh, it's either a pan and scan. I don't. It's not a pan and scan. It's a. Uh, it's a where they uh, squish it. So yeah. they took it. They've taken a widescreen and then kind of pushed it in a little bit. And then I don't know. It's kind of one of those like uh, you know. It feels like a very kind of cheap transfer in, in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, I'd love to see a properly restored version of this, but um, yeah, yeah. So next time, so uh, we, we talked a little bit. We we're probably going to expand our sex comedy series a little bit uh, into the future here before we uh, do something a little different. But uh, next time it's going to be Pick Up Summer from 1980, uh, which is a less thoughtful sex comedy. I'll say that much. I've, I've seen it before a couple times, but I, I think we'll have some fun with it, uh, talking about it. It's a Canadian-made uh, sex comedy, so... Uh, we well, if it's made in Canada, you know it's got to be good, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, it goes without saying, right? But yeah, uh, Daniel, where can people find you on the interwebs? People shouldn't find me on the interwebs, but uh, if you do want to find me, uh, I'm on Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper. Uh, I'm mostly, uh, I've, been, I've been fighting with Nazis uh, uh, for a while now, and there are world-famous Nazis who decide to retweet me. Uh, by screenshotting me, and then uh, they say stu- stupid things, so I retweet them and say stupid things about them. Well, I say smart things about the stupid things that they said. Uh, and the reason yeah. that that happens is because they do a podcast about these people called I Don't Speak German, and you can find that at I Don't Speak German dot dot com. If you want to listen to me not talk about uh, sexy comedies and goofy people in movies, but rather people who want to commit genocide you could you could absolutely uh, go listen to that instead uh can i just put this out there fuck you nazis yeah yeah nazis are bad it seems weird that we have to say that in 2019 it seems weird that that's like a controversial statement yeah but you know it's like there's so many of them around lately so fuck them yeah fuck them i i don't know anything about the fact that people just show up in my mentions and decide to be like (laughs) you know like i literally have a guy who's like you know like, oh no, I listened to that audio clip you said where the guy, like, said uh, genocidal things. But he didn't actually say, like, I actively want to pr- commit genocide. And uh, I'm going to parse that language completely and make you prove to me that he said that. And uh, it doesn't matter that I've given you audio and a transcript that I personally produced of the things that they said. No, it doesn't matter. No, he didn't uh, actually say the words. Uh, so, you know. Fine. Most Nazis are cowards. Uh, but yeah. you know who are not cowards? People who go to tmbdos.podbean.com, subscribe to our podcast at Apple Podcasts, look for us on YouTube, and engage us on Facebook at They Must Be Destroyed on Site, where they can find out what's coming up on the podcast, and they can talk with us and give us movie recommendations and tell us how crap or great we are. What we what we really want is more YouTube comments of people telling yes. us we're shit because we didn't give them the movie that we said we were just reviewing. <laughs> That's what we want. I want like 20 of those to read every week where you can just make fun of them all one by one. Yeah. Uh, I'm Honestly, like YouTube people, you're really fucking slacking. Like if you're listening to this on YouTube right now, please send us a really shitty message so we can just, just 
deconstruct it and make fun of you. Can you imagine this podcast gets like like 10,000 listeners a week and we get 20 people every time who want to give us like really shitty YouTube comments? I wish it I wish it would happen because like some of our YouTube episodes if 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 I was able to monetize this podcast on YouTube, some of our fucking YouTube episodes would be giving us a lot of money cuz we do get some pretty major fucking uh, view counts on some of where somebody like clicks on it, watches it for ten seconds, and then yeah. uh, you know clips you know because well, it is like our, our our cheerleaders episode. I could probably pay you money if that was monetized. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that's not ever gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's fine. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thank you, Daniel. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll be back next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. are brown and the sky is gray I went for a walk on a winter's day I'd be safe and warm if I was in L.A. You've been listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For other episodes, our links to Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and our Facebook group, as well as links to podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. 
Thank you. Drive through.